that's pretty good singing. Out of all the hymns that's ever been written, ever been recorded, that's the best. When you sing about God's holiness and God's righteousness, you're tapping into his beauty. And there's something about the church that gets stirred when the people can sing about the holiness of God. Amen. Well, gang, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Isn't this better than sitting on a deer stand, huh? Yeah, I had calls all week long from guys saying, well, you know, Tom, we've missed you. We're glad you're back. But you know what? Today is deer season. And I got to thinking, Derek, at least you don't deer hunt, brother. I praise God, you know. But I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to go back with me to a little book, the book of Jude. And I want to spend two more weeks with you there. I know some of you are wondering if we're ever going to get through. Well, I don't know. We will when Jesus comes. I got an email about a week or so ago. said, Pastor, don't feel bad. I know a guy took eight years to get through Jude. So, you know, we're doing pretty good. But let me tell you what I want to do. I, uh, I want to spend at least the next two weeks in Jude, and then we're going to embark on a different journey. But I didn't want to rush through. I, my intention was to be through, but gang, there's just uh, the next two messages today and next week are two messages that I really believe God wants me to separate out and share with you individually. I think they're pertinent to what we're doing, and I think that God wants me to do that, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of you this last week went into uh, Walmart or Walgreens or Kroger or uh, Edwards Food Giant or some large place where there's a lot of people? How many of you, how many of you did that? Okay. Now, when you went in to those places... How many of you stopped? How many of you rushed in, grabbed your stuff, and rushed to the checkout line and fussed because there were three or four people ahead of you and never stopped to look into the eyes of someone you don't know? Hmm? I would imagine all of us. We have to get this. We have to get that. And we don't want to but we got to, and we're like a chicken with our head cut off. We're flapping around everywhere to try to get what we're supposed to get, and we wonder why the express lane with you only have 20 items always has somebody with 24, and there's five or six, and we rush out of there, and we never see anybody. And it may be that the only reason you're at Walgreens or Walmart wasn't because you needed a gallon of milk. Maybe it was because somebody in Walgreens or Walmart weren't there for you to bump into, but they were there for you to touch. And that's what our text is going to be today, okay? Let me tell you, let me begin by, um, by telling you a little story. And then I'm going to do a, a moment to recap. We may have some guests that doesn't know where, what we're doing. That's okay. We don't know what we're doing, but we're having fun. Uh, and then we'll look at a passage, okay? 
Corley Overall is on our mission team at Macedonia. Before he left, he, uh, he sat down and talked to me. Corley uh, has just really got a, a desire to share Christ wherever he goes. And he really got turned on down in Dominican Republic on one of our trips. And he came back and he said, you know, Tom, he said, I've discovered something. If I'm willing to go to the Dominican Republic and share Christ, I ought to be just as willing, just as uh, desiring to share Christ here. And I agree with that. Now, I, I understand the speed of life. I understand the busyness of our Western culture. Uh, but I agree with that. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, uh, I uh, went to Walmart, and he said, uh, man, the best place to witness for Christ is in one of the benches at Walmart. That's what old men do anyway. We're good at sitting at benches, right? But he said, I, I went in there one day, and uh, he said, I was sitting in a bench, and there was an older gentleman there. And he said, I looked at him. And he said, I saw pain. I saw hurt. I saw someone who just seemed inside to be dying. And so I went over and sat down and well, scooted over and began to talk with him. And the guy unfolded his story. It was a tragic story, a grandpa who lost one, maybe two grandkids. I'm not sure. I, I, I can't imagine that kind of pain. The hardest thing about leaving Macedonia was my grandkids. You know, my son I can see anytime. Uh, but here's a guy that lost one, maybe two grandkids. And the pain was just unbearable. Corley had the opportunity to share Christ. And the guy said, I hadn't been in church in a while. But he said, I, there was a time I walked with the Lord. And he was able to minister and prayed with him. And he said, I'm going to have my Sunday school class pray for you. And so Corley came back, and apparently he shared that with his class. And by the way, the, one of the reasons I like small groups, one of the reasons I believe Sunday school is the, the health of a church is because it's in those small group units where you do life together and you pray. You following me? And, and so this class did. He said a few weeks later he was back in Wally World, and he was sitting at his bench. The guy came in, and they talked, and the guy conversed how much it meant to him. He said about that time, uh, Perry Pruitt came in. Perry is one of our early service guys and uh, came over to where Corley was, and Corley introduced him, and Perry said, hey, I prayed for you. My Sunday school class has prayed for you. Now, I want to lead into what I want to say to you today because most of us, Tom included, doesn't stop long enough to look into the eyes of people and see into their soul. Jude's going to address that. That's why I wanted to slow down on the text. Let me, let me just take a moment and remind you that Jude is one of the last books written in the New Testament. It's a book written looking to the return of the Lord Jesus. We don't know when that's going to happen. But Jude felt the impression to write. It's one of the last books in our canon. And he's writing about the kind of culture that's going to take place right before Christ returns. Now, he felt 
it was back then. I feel like it's right now. The words that he wrote to them back then are as relevant as any words in Scripture for us today. He knew that his readers were in the midst of a furnace. He knew that affliction was there. He knew that persecution was there and was going to be rising. And he knew that the church was going to be challenged, not just from without, but when you read the letter primarily from within, that apostates, lost people, unregenerate people, those beyond the touch of grace, had infiltrated into the church, had ingrained themselves. Somehow they had crept in unaware. They had woven themselves into the fabric of the church, probably in places of leadership, and their sole reason was so that they could somehow justify their sin and drag as many people toward their sin as possible. Yes, Christians can be influenced and caught up in that which does not honor and praise God. That's why I think that there are some who might would call themselves homosexuals who are really so misguided that they, they, they've lost touch with reality. Whether they're saved or not, I don't, I don't even know whether you're saved, you know. Sometimes I wonder about me, you know. I, I, I don't know the heart. But these folks were lost. And they were infiltrating and trying to lead believers away. And they were using the mantra of grace, which is so prevalent today. They were saying things like, hey... God is just God of grace, so when you sin, he gives you grace, he gets it covered, so sin, enjoy it, have fun, because all that means is God turns on the spigot of grace a little bit more and more. And unfortunately then, as well as today, I think that the reason I think Jude's so relevant today is because that's what's happening today. And so there are those immature uh, maybe baby-type Christians, maybe not even just baby Christians, that sometimes get sucked into that, and their lives have to be miserable. Their testimony is hypocritical, and their end will be sad, because when they stand before Jesus, they're going to stand before Jesus in shame. I, I shared with, with the first service that, gang, I know that... We're imperfect, aren't we? I mean, our church is imperfect. And we're made up of imperfect people. You've got an imperfect pastor. I know we don't have it down right. And I know we are seeking to try to improve each year that the Lord tarries and all of that. I'm well aware of all that. But I want to tell you, the, the goal that I have for my life and the goal that I have for us collectively as a faith family is on that day when we stand before God in the judgment seat of Christ, not because of sin that's been covered by the blood, but when we stand before him to give an account of our lives as believers, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be shamed. I want to stand before him, stand up and say, God, as best I know how, I followed you in faith. And I dearly desire my dear church, Indian Springs Baptist Church, my faith family, 
to be of the persuasion that while we know if it wasn't for grace we're in hell, but because of grace we're saved and we're doing our best to stand tall in the midst of challenging times for God's people. You think this thing in Houston about this wacko mayor trying to get pastors to send her her sermon, you think that's just a fad? I, someone told me today, let's all, uh, Mike Huckabee said last night on TV, you know, I think every pastor ought to send every sermon they've ever written to her. Send some Bibles along the way. Let the Gideons, you know. But then listen, that's not a fad, gang. That's where we are. And that's where it's going to be. So we have, to de- we have to decide where we're going to be on that. And so Jude writes and he urges them to be faithful. Contend for the faith. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. Wrestle unto death. He said you can pick them out. Because the first thing they do, they pervert God's worship. They become I-centered instead of theocentered. It's I, not him. It's what it is for me, what I get out of it, instead of what I give to him and how I praise him. So their worship is perverted. God's word is perverted. Instead of good foundational doctrine, it becomes this idea of self-gratification, feel-good, pleasure, even passion. There's a lot of sexual references in Jude about sexual gratification. So it's about me and my pleasure, not about God's word. And let me tell you something, gang. All we have is God's word, you see. We're always going to have attack, but we have to stand on God's word. And they, they, they dilute God's word to fulfill some of their passions. And they pervert God's way. Instead of submission to authority, they, they're rebellious, okay? Now, I want you to take your Bible. We're going to begin reading verse 17. Everything that he wrote was really directed toward to verse 21, which we dealt with before I left. And then he's going to deal with three groups of people. And that's what I want to do today, okay? He's going to deal with three groups of lost people. And the reason I did my introduction the way I did is because the next time you go into Wally World, don't go in with a chicken with your head cut off trying to get what you need to get and get out of there and fuss because people are in your way. Here's my goal today, is for you to slow down long enough to look someone that you may not know in the eye and see if you can see into their soul and see if you can discern which of the one of the three groups that Jude talks about, okay? Now, I have to be totally upfront with you. Do these three groups represent every lost people that has ever lived in all of history? I don't know. I don't know that, okay? I do believe that when Jude was writing to his people, it represented every lost person at that time in his culture and in that context. But I want to tell you, as I studied the passage, and as I looked through the passage, I thought, I don't know if it's everybody that's ever lived that were lost, but it sure looks to me like it represents everybody who has ever lived that is lost, okay? And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that, Okay. Well, let's stand, if you would, in honor of God's Word, and why don't we begin reading verse 17. Um, Verse 22 and 23 is the heart of my message, but let's read that, that whole thing, okay? Verse 17, Jude, verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time... There will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Gang, do you see that happening today? Hello? Yeah, you do. Turn on TV. 
Read the paper. Man, if people love to throw stones at Christians and they pick the minority that are visible instead of the faithful ones like you, dear people. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. They're not saved. They're apostates. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Remember, last time before I went overseas, I said, here's the deal here. You find yourself in a place where God would be pleased to hang with you. That's what that means. What is the location that keep yourself in the love of God? In the location where God would be happy. Jesus went to a wedding. Hey, weddings are good. See? Jesus might even go to a Razorback game next year. Okay? See, I, I'm just telling you, not everything has to be church. Not everything has to be Sunday. Would Jesus go fishing? Yeah, probably he was, didn't he? He ate fish. Would Jesus go deer hunting? Not on Sunday morning. He might go deer hunting. You know, I don't know. All I can tell you is if you would be comfortable with Jesus hanging with you wherever you're at, doing whatever you're doing, go for it and enjoy it. And you do it through edification of the Word of God, through praying and living your life anxiously, patiently, excitingly waiting for Christ to come back. Wake up every morning thinking, this may be the day. And go for it. You with me on that? You're not a prude. Christians aren't prunes that are all shriveled up. And if anybody ought to live in victory, it ought to be us. If anybody ought to have joy, it ought to be us. People ought to see us living the way God wants us to live because he's redeemed us through the blood of the cross. Man, we've been forgiven. He's on our side. He's in our camp. You follow me? Well, I already said that before, didn't I? Okay. Now, look at verse 22 and verse 23. By the way, next week we're going to finish with the greatest benediction in all the Bible. Verse 22 and verse 23. Notice the three groups. Have mercy on some who are doubting. That's number one. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. That's number two. And on some, have mercy with fear. That's number three. And then he summarizes hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Father, this is good stuff. Don't let me mess it up. Because we need this the next time we're at Wally World. In Christ's name, amen. Well, maybe not Wally World, but anyway. Okay, be seated. Keep your Bible open, all right? Group number one are called the doubters. See verse 22 there? Now, here's what Jude is telling us. He's saying there are some who are really, truly wondering about heaven and hell. There's some spiritual activity going on in their heart. Perhaps there's a process of redemption that has started and the efficacious calling of God is underway. How should we react to them? Well, how about tender compassion, mercy of God? That's what that means. 
You see, gang, there are some people in your life, and there are some people perhaps in your family that have sincere doubts about Christianity. They want to know what's going on. They have to, they want to get their head around this concept of church and religion and Christian. All they hear is the bad stuff. All they hear is the hard stuff, and they interpret it to be mean and narrow. Now listen to me. I understand that. Truth requires truth, doesn't it? And truth is narrow, isn't it? The Bible tells us that, okay? And I'm not sure how you change all of that, but I'll tell you with this group, you need to show mercy, tender compassion. You see, doubt is not, is not unbelief. Doubt could be defined as someone seeking and looking for truth, and all of our friends, or some of our friends, Need patient compassion. Jude calls it mercy. Now I want to ask you a question. I want you to think. Engage your brain here just a little bit. Who is it in your life? Who is it in your family or your friend or your work associates that's not hardened against the things of God, but they're just doubting or struggling a little bit? And they're like grapes on the vine. They're needing some mercy and some love. They're needing a little bit of instruction on the ways of God in divine truth. Maybe they're hesitating on looking for truth. And God has you there not to bump into, but to touch for Christ. I believe Corey did that. Let me give you a, a good example of that. We've got this team in Macedonia. When I was over there, my son got a phone call, and it was a guy that he'd been dealing with from some time, and the guy called, and he said, Jeff, can I meet with you? I have some more questions, and Jeff said, certainly, ask me to go, and so I went with Jeff, and we met this guy at, at what's called East Grab, which is a community center that our church has rented for the work there, so you're in this, okay, and we met this guy for two hours. I sat there and watched my son answer question after question. I injected a little bit. I have trouble keeping my mouth shut sometimes. But, but, but it was basically Jeff. At the end of two hours, I watched my son see a, a, a believer birthed into the kingdom. We were in the birthing room when this guy was birthed into the kingdom of God. I got to see my boy lead this guy in a prayer of commitment. But let me tell you what's interesting. I found out something later. I found out something that later that his journey began when a mission team from Indian Springs went over and a guy by the name of Russell Baker took a, Russell got hung up on harmonicas some years ago and God taught him how to blow and you suck them and blow them. I don't, you know, it makes noise. He took like 25 harmonicas over there and gave a little class. This, this was years ago. This guy went to it. It was a process that began. Over the last years, another guy in our church, Wes, through social media, Facebook, kept in touch. Off and on for these years, Jeff has been meeting and talking and dealing with him. And it just happened to be that I got to be there on that day when this guy was birthed into the kingdom of God. How do you classify that? He was a doubter. 
And he grew up in a, in, a, in a blind religion called orthodoxy. He had questions about the freedom and the liberty that comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And God had to carry him through that. You didn't have to be hard with this guy. You didn't have to be mean to them. You just had to answer questions. Listen, I want to tell you, there's people in your life like that. It may be your brother. It may be your sister. It may be your parent. Maybe your child. And maybe the person that you have a cubicle next at your job. Alan, maybe somebody you take care of their yard, you see. And they're not anti-God. They're confused. And God has you there not to bump into, but to touch. Now, who are they? You see, you've got to be discerning. You've got to be able to look beyond the eyelids into the depths of their soul. And the best way, of course, would be through relationship, okay? Number two, look at the beginning of verse 23. Because not only do we have doubters given to us, but we have those who are deceived. There's a second group. And notice what he says, and have mercy on some who are doubting, then save others, he says, snatching them out of the fire. The word save could be translated delivered. And in fact, often in the New Testament, save could be translated deliver or rescue. And I like that. Rescue others. Deliver others. And he uses the word snatch. That's an important term in the Bible. It's found about 13 times. We find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, that refers to the moment when the church will be raptured or snatched up to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. Now, beloved, all of us have family and friends that are standing on the edge of hell. And what Jude says is to snatch them and to grab them, to deliver them. That takes a little bit more force, doesn't it? It means to look a direct eye, look a divine eye at them, or hell will be their eternal abode. I have one of, the, one of the joys of my life is being part of a team that teaches our preteen, teaches your preteens. Several years ago, I, I wrote a book on basic doctrine, and, and we go through that. Lisa is our team leader of our kids. Leanne is one of our teachers. Leanne and I are team teaching that, and, and actually, I enjoy listening to her better than I do having them listen to me. And Leanne, while I was gone, she did uh, sin, and she did Jesus. This past Wednesday was my turn, and I taught our preteens on what salvation really is. One of the things I told the kids was that there was a church sign. I don't know, do you get these emails with all these church signs, sayings on church signs? Yeah, they'll drive you nuts. They're, some of them are just bleh, makes you throw up. But one of them caught my eye, and here's what it said. It says, eternity is a long time to be wrong. Wow. Dear people, you've got some family and you've got some friends that are on the precipice of sliding off into eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And the next time you go to Walgreens or the next time you go to Walmart or wherever you go to do whatever you do, 
Would you go in that place thinking eternity is a long time to be wrong? There are those who are doubters that need tender compassion. But there are those who are deceived that require bold confrontation. Sometime you got to grab it and to take it. And while we all feel inadequate, you do your best. Because it could very well be that that's the last time they'll ever hear the gospel of eternal salvation. And they need to hear it, and God has you there for it. There's a third group. Look at verse 23 again, then I'm going to be through, okay? On some have mercy with fear, okay? Now, we have the doubters. We have those who are deceived. But here we have the defiled, okay? This is the group that you hear mostly about that throw out most of the anti-Jesus propaganda. They're the mayors of Houston. Are there the... Um, uh, what's that civil, what's that thing that th- makes all these suits? What's that called? What the? ACLU, okay? They're the God-haters, the anti-Bible guys. They're in the minority, but they're vocal. Whether they're going to be saved or not, I don't know. That's not my business. That's God's business. But you notice Jude doesn't say leave them alone. And Jude doesn't say buddy up to them and try to influence them. Jude, said, Jude tells us, on some have mercy with fear. You see, this group doesn't need compassion. It doesn't even need our conviction. It needs our caution. We should be cautious. We should be courageous. It takes wise caution here because if we're not careful, we might get a little soiled in the process. But they still require the people of God, to be the people of God. And it may be a little harder, and you may get attacked for being a little narrower, a little intolerant. But what difference does that make when people end up in hell because we're too weak to share the gospel truth to them, huh? You see, we shouldn't be timid. I understand that it's tough walking the homosexual route and uh, the abortion. I understand that. We're to love the homosexuals. We're to stand against homosexuality. I understand the tension of that, but we must do it nonetheless, you see. I was reading about one group and the culture is invading them and they're wanting to soften up this thing about gay marriage. I want to tell you, you don't soften it up. You can be loving and be truthful. I I dread the day where Southern Baptist pastors will get up and it's beginning to happen, get up and say, hey, the culture has changed. We must change with the culture. I want to tell you, the Word of God doesn't change, you see. But that doesn't mean we take shotguns and shoot them. We take love pills. But we still stand. Abortion, I'm going to tell you, that's a hard thing. We have to stand against that all the while knowing that there's some folks, maybe even in our church, that at a wrong time in their life, and a difficult time in their life, they made a decision that they regret. We have to love them. And sometimes I think we come across hard. I, can't, I don't know what else to do. 
Except let God's Spirit take God's truth and apply it to their heart, you see. And in the process of doing that, dear people, we have to be careful that we don't become singed, that we don't get influenced in. You know why cults, you know why Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses grow? In fact, at one time, the greatest growth in, I think, Mormonism was Baptists. Tells you a little bit about our discipleship. Why do they do that? Because we're not grounded. And that's what they feed on. If you're not careful, believers can get caught up in that. One of the most respected guys in our nation today, a guy by the name of John MacArthur, who I think is one of the greatest preachers, certainly one of the smartest men that we have in our Christian culture that have always stayed true. Isn't it good to have old men stay true? John MacArthur is one of those guys who all through the years has never wavered. He's been castigated, man. He's been shot at. He's been hollered at. He's been maligned. But I want to tell you, he stayed true to the gospel. And I was reading what he said about this passage, and, and let me read to you what he said. He said that he heard about a man who exclusively tried to minister to prostitutes. That was his whole ministry, a guy ministering to prostitutes. Here's what he said. He said, that's risky. I don't care who you are. Do you understand what he was saying? He's saying, I'm not going to do that. And we have to be careful with what we do. I understand where we, we have to do some of that. We have to be careful. Let me tell you what I've learned in these years. Many a good man with many a good intention has exposed himself to be deceived. Given over to deception. Lost their family. Lost their ministry. No one in this room is beyond satanic influence. Nobody, but even the folks that seek to lead us in those kinds of influences need gospel truth. Jude closes with a little admonition. Notice what he says, hating even the garments polluted by flesh. There are those that's going to require us to be compassionate there are those that's going to require us to be a little more stronger. There are some that's going to require some pretty good strength. But dear people, I want to say to you, regardless, and you have to discern who you're dealing with, regardless of how you're dealing with who you're dealing in all things, it requires purity. There's no shortcut to holiness. There's no side door to righteousness. Okay? And so as we venture forth into our community with thousands of people that need Christ, that claim no faith connection, we must go forth prayed up. We must go forth in his righteousness to be faithful as we see the end time approaching. For the glory of God. Now, the beauty is this. Next week, you're going to hear Jude say, Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. So as we do it, we have a protector. And we'll close next week on, I believe, the greatest praise, the greatest benediction in all the world. And you should be back for that. Wives, your husbands ought to be off the deer stand for that, okay?
It'll be a, I, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful passage. Okay? Well, that's all I got. We better pray. Stu better.